to the Across the Pod NFL podcast. We are here for our fourth wildcard round game preview, and this time it's the Tampa Bay Buccaneers hosting the Dallas Cowboys. Now, we sadly couldn't get fans of both teams on for this episode like we have with our previous three, but we still have a Bucks fan with us and a first-timer on the podcast. We have with us Adam Murphy, or as he's better known, Murph. How are you? Hey, mate, good to good to be on, good to finally do this. I know we tried to do it a few times and yeah. scheduling and illness and bits. So, yeah, but it's okay. I'll try and cover both sides. And I'm not going to say I'm going to be neutral, but I can give a keys to the game for both sides. Absolutely. Fantastic, fantastic. And we like to ask all of our new guests um, the same question is, we like to get, especially UK fans, uh, we like to find out sort of why they follow certain teams because, you know, when it comes to, our football, we sort of, if you come from a certain place, it's pretty established why you support that team. But in the UK, when it comes to NFL, it's almost like a free reign. So what made you Buccaneers? Uh, pretty similar story to why I support my regular football team. Uh, in the year 2000, I moved to the United States. Um, I lived in Orlando, Florida for uh, six years, went to high school, uh, university around there. So um, you have a choice of two teams, really, that are locally. Although it's three in the state, Miami's obviously a bit further. So you're kind of in between Jacksonville and Tampa. Tampa's a little bit closer, but it's it's not great. Um, but actually how it's done in terms of the U.S. is media market. <clears throat> and Orlando is deemed a Buccaneers media market. Probably because they were there first, established it, et cetera. So if both teams are playing at the same time, the Buccaneers would be the ones that would be on on local television, not the Jags. It really is as, as, as simple a decision as that. Um, although I would say, especially in parts of Florida, especially Orlando, college football probably rules more than pro football. So they didn't have too much pro football influence. It's not like I went to school with hundreds of Bucks fans, but there were a few of us and we did the uh, rep well. And it was a good time to be a Buccaneers fan. Tony Dungy was doing masters with that D and Monty Kiffin. Uh, you've got three Hall of Famers, hopefully soon to be four if Rondé Barber uh, gets on the list this year and gets finally in the hall because he's been knocking on the door a few times. But John Lynch, Warren Sapp, Derek Brooks. Um, and then, of course, uh, 2002, uh, Buccaneers went all the way. Uh, I went to that game, actually, in the Super Bowl. So uh, I attended that one uh, in, in Feb 2003. And, uh, yeah, it was unbelievable experience but that's why I'm a Bucks fan it's just really it was a case of where I was at and it was picking it was the, picking the local team so uh, fruitful at first 12 years of hurt and then a couple of decent years here uh, although this year is uh, jury's out as to whether or not you can call it a decent year. That must have been amazing I, mean, I don't know where the Super Bowl was in 2003 when you won it but uh, where was that Super Bowl when you won it in 2003? It was in San Diego it was at the old Qualcomm okay. Stadium um, where the Chargers used to play um so uh, yeah a friend of mine who I went to school with his dad worked for Malcolm Glazier who uh was alive and owned the Buccaneers uh then before passing it to his sons and I know that Malcolm Glazier and the Glazers don't have a good name here in the UK right <laughs> but they uh in, in the US especially in Tampa they have a very well respected uh community and name there and so uh yeah they're basically most of the Glazier employees or at least senior middle executives got tickets and as a result I was able to go with my friend, he's an only child, thankfully. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, so uh, we went out there and the Glazers, I think, picked up a good amount of the travel expenses and stuff like that. So, wow. uh, yeah, it was an unbelievable experience. It was good to go. And, 
even better to watch your team live and, and win it, right? So, uh, and it was a strange one because I, I don't know if you know the circumstances of that Super Bowl because Gruden, uh, John Gruden, who obviously now is not a, well, uh, <laughs> he's not a name in good standing in the NFL. Let's leave it at that. Yeah. And if you don't know, you should go and Google why. And it involves uh, Washington and, and everything. It was just a couple of years ago. Um, but he, so the previous year, he had coached the Oakland Raiders uh, at the time is what they were called. Now, obviously, the Las Vegas Raiders. And um, they basically, the Buccaneers traded uh, a plethora of first round draft picks. It was three in total, I believe, or it was at least two in a second um, to get to acquire John Gruden. So very rarely get a picks for coach trade. I think it was eight million in compensation as well that were paid. Um, and then obviously that year, not only does Gruden take the Bucks to the Super Bowl, um, but he gets to play his old team where they've installed the exact same uh, playbook and haven't made too many changes. So he knew all the calls. He knew exactly what was in. Uh, there were four uh, defensive touchdowns in that game. <laughs> it's a good. It's a good watch. Uh, unless you're a, a Raiders fan, you probably don't want to watch that. But they had the MVP and Rich Gannon, who was the quarterback for the Raiders that year, and it was basically the classic offense versus defense. And everyone expected the Raiders to win, and nobody expected the Bucks to put up 48 points. But that's what happened. Yeah, I remember watching the Football Life, sorry, America's Game uh, for that season. And it's an incredible watch, really. And it's just, um, I don't think we'll see that many times in the future when you get the coach leaving teams and then he goes and plays against them the following year. So, um, yeah, that must have been absolutely incredible. And so you mentioned the college thing. Was your school more, were they more Gators? Were they more uh, Florida A&M or whatever they're called? Um, or were they Miami Hurricanes? How did the... Um, which college team did you also where you went to school sort of which one did they follow it was it was a mix between uh uf and uh fsu was kind of the big one um so they were the two few went to a uh, few of miami fans guy played in our uh, high school team went to uh went to the u went to miami uh, and, and played there, got injured. I don't think it worked out too well for him. His name is Ryan Moore. He's a very talented wide receiver. It didn't quite pan out for him. Um, but um, I ended up attending the University of Florida and then transferring to the University of Central Florida. So I recognized myself as a Gator with a, an eye on the Golden Knights of UCF. So I can't stand FSU. And if you're an FSU fan, I'm sorry. Um, <laughs> but yeah, you're very much like Miami is like, a culture of in, in itself down down the south but you get to the middle of the state which is where Orlando is if you don't know um you tend to focus on the center and, and and northwards upwards so you know the big schools in in Florida especially at the time FSU were very much a college powerhouse under Bobby Bowden they won national titles had the oldest quarterback I can remember going into the NFL and Chris Winkie I think he was must have been at least 30 maybe older when he went to, uh, when he got drafted by the Carolina Panthers uh, in the early 2000s. I can't think of anyone older that's been drafted into a pro in recent times, but I could be wrong. But yeah, it's uh, it's definitely, yeah, Gators and, and Florida State, it was a big rivalry in the early 2000s. And uh, still a big rivalry now, but it's probably not as big with FSU's decline and Florida's decline to a certain degree. But and then it was a definitely spicy affair. Yeah, and luckily for you, I am a Gator fan, so um, you um, the podcast can carry on. Um, and it's actually funny <laughs> to mention about the Orlando being Tampa Bay because brings about my funny story of 
how I became a Dolphins fan. It actually was by accident because I remember we had a family holiday booked to Orlando, you know, Disney World, Universal Studios, all that stuff. Six months after I bought Madden, so I bought Madden and my first time, you know, playing an EA Sports um, NFL game and actually if you favorite team and I had no idea and I said to my brother which team's closest to Orlando and he tells me Miami Dolphins and um, I picked them <laughs> and that's really how, how it began and I think uh, my brother's got a lot to answer for but um, yeah no it's, I'm, I'm glad it's, I wouldn't choose anyone else but it could have easily been the same as you mate it could have easily been all Jacksonville with a London link so um, yeah it's uh, funny how it worked out because you know geographically it is the furthest away from Orlando <laughs> out of the three but um yeah I, I wouldn't have it any other way um so going into the game itself of course Tampa Bay are the four seed despite having a lower win record than the Dallas Cowboys who are the fifth seed um a difficult start to the season of course went into the season as one of my favorites to win it all uh not quite worked out that way but you made the playoffs regardless uh what's your take being as a fan on the, on the season as a whole for your for your Buccaneers I think it's been incredibly frustrating uh, as a as a fan. This team is loaded. This roster is loaded. Um, we had, there was a lot of turmoil, right? So Brady retires um, the first of February last year. Um, well, the unofficial official retirement that dragged out to the Super Bowl. I think a couple of days before the Super Bowl, whatever that happened, and then he. Uh, and then Bruce Arians decides that he's retiring and he's going upstairs and then Brady comes back. So you've got this whole state of uh, uncertainty, what's happening. Bowles gets promoted. That was probably the most certain thing that was going to happen if that succession plan has been in place for the last four years. It was always going to be Bowles was always going to get it. I don't know how they get around certain rules in the NFL about open coaching vacancies. I don't think anybody else got an interview, which I know is not allowed. And I'm sure that there'd be a fine or something that should have been handed out to the Buccaneers because it wasn't an open process, but probably because Bowles is a diversity hire, it's probably less of a question than if it had been somebody else. Um, but then you get into the season, you're getting into training camp, you know, the draft was okay. Wasn't uh, a spectacular draft trading out the first round. I don't think this was a, particularly great draft class. I think there's some great players in it that we've seen. Um, I think the Buccaneers obviously had to address the offensive line. Um, that was kind of a key part because they'd lost um, some key pieces, Alex Cap at a free agency, um, and then losing some stalwarts in that line. They had to go ahead and, and replace them. Um, and to do that, they did that through the draft. As, I mean, they acquired um, Shaq Mason in, in a trade with... Uh, New England, um, but unfortunately, you lose Ryan Jensen in training camp, who is, holds that together really. That that as the centre in that offensive line, he's someone that Brady trusts, and that that has really proven to be a huge barrier that the Buccaneers have actually probably struggled to overcome this season. They've had some severe injuries to their offensive line. Um, they you know they've played four different left tackles this year. They've played different guards. Um, it's been a lot of rotation on that offensive line. Very rarely have they got to play the same offensive line through uh, through re through consecutive games. Um, the only one that consistently, well, the only two that have been consistently there are Mason and um, uh, Mason and Worths. They're, they're pretty much the two that have been pretty consistent there and have been uh, doing the jobs. Uh, but that left side, although Donovan Smith's there, has been a little bit tricky. Buccaneers still conceded the least amount of sacks in the season, but that 
it, it's one of those stats, right, that looks really good. And you think, oh, but this Buccaneers offensive line has been really good. Um, no, it's Bob Brady just doesn't want to get hit and he throws the ball away. That's really all it is. Um, but it's massively affected the ability that this offense has, has, has been able to produce. And it's been one of the worst coached and one of the worst executed offenses for a, from a, a roster perspective. I'd argue I've probably ever seen. I don't think I've, I can struggle to think of an offense with this much talent, this much depth and struggle as much as it has on offense. I think the defense has been very good and has carried this team to the playoffs. I think the offense has been beyond poor at times uh, and has been okay in parts. But yeah, it's, it's been a frustrating season. Uh, obviously, you get to the playoffs, you have a chance of of doing something. You go on a run. Um, I think for Buccaneers fans, we were all hoping, and I was there, uh, the turning point would be Munich. You get that great experience. You put out a great performance. You win the game. Everything seemed to turn the corner. The the play calling seemed to be a bit different. It seemed to be a bit more imagination ideas. Then you get to go into your bye and you expect the team to kick on and it, and it didn't. And that's the frustrating thing for Buccaneers fans is that's not happened. And uh, I think there's a lot of Buccaneers fans that will be uh, questioning the coaching staff, um, in particular Byron Leftwich, the offensive coordinator. And this is a guy who was very close to getting the Jacksonville job last year. I think most Buccaneers fans, myself included, would kind of wish that he had got that job uh, and hadn't coached this offense because I think the play calling at times is abject and predictable. And uh, yeah, but we go into the, the playoffs, we see what happens. And I think this is a really intriguing playoff matchup because I think both teams are very, very similar. I think they match up as complete equals on uh on both sides of the ball yeah i think looking at the stats as well it is very close because there's definitely some some real differences you look at similarities yards per game allowed on offense and defense is very similar you got tampa 15th in yards per game on offense and dallas were 11th and then the buccaneers have allowed the ninth least fewest um yards per game on defense and dallas are 12th fewest uh past defense is very similar buccaneers uh 10th uh, Cowboys eighth, you know, but you look at on the flip side, um, the Buccaneers have the worst rushing offense. The Cowboys have the eighth best. Um, and then on the Dallas have the 14th best passing offense and the Buccaneers have the second best passing offense. So there's definitely some, some parts of the game. And I think the running game is really interesting because the Cowboys to me have the best running back room in the league. And if I'm mistaken, I can't think of many better one twos and, you know, Tony Pollard and Zeke. And then, you know, the Buccaneers, which surprised me having the worst rushing offense, being you know, Tom Brady has guided them to the second best passing offense. Um, and they're looking his season as well. Um, he has the third most passing yards this season with 4,694. They're tied for the eighth most passing touchdowns with only nine um, inceptions, single digits there, but with an 18th position when it comes to quarterback ranking. Um, yeah, I, th I think this is one of the more interesting. I think, you know, look, look at the Bills, Dolphins games and the Ravens, Bengals game. They're coming up later on in the week. Um, you look at those games, they probably are the ones that you think that's probably already on paper, already decided. But I think you look at the, particularly the Chargers, Jags game and in this game, I think certainly these are the probably the, might be the two best games of the weekend because I think both teams certainly have their weaknesses. I think Dak Prescott has got seven straight interceptions in games. He's the interception leader, despite the fact that he has missed quite a lot of games. But on the flip side, you know, Tom Brady hasn't been in all, all Tom Brady, but in the last few weeks, he has started to show signs of being his old self. And I think you can never really write off Tom Brady in a playoff game until he literally actually retires. So it's 
it's a really fascinating matchup, and I would love to have a Cowboys fan here to sort of defend Dak, but I think I've always been a massive critic of Dak, and I do fear for him that once again he's going to get exposed when it comes to the big game. And I don't think I've ever really seen him turn up in a big game, whether that's regular season or postseason. So I think that's something they can really exploit. Um, the Buccaneers' defence. Uh, where do you think the match can maybe be? Actually, first of all, what was the Munich experience like? And then secondly, how do you um, see this game being won or lost for your Buccaneers? Yeah, um, Munich experience was incredible. I think they do a lot of things better than they do here in the UK. Um, for starters, having a pre-game entertainment, making you want to go to the game earlier to be inside the ground. There's some things that were worse. The queuing up to get into the stadium was an absolute joke and a disgrace and something that they need to sort out. There were people standing outside for a couple of hours before the gates opened. Um, it borderlined at times a crush. It wasn't very well organised. There's one metro station in and out. They need to think about... And then they had the fan park at the stadium, but no tickets, so you could go. So there was... 100, 150,000 people using the Metro to go to the fan park or go to the stadium. And it created a very, very exposed, busy area. And luckily outside the uh, Alliance Arena, there is a bit of green space. There is a bit of width, unlike there is in uh, either of the London uh, arenas where they host the NFL. So it could cater that, but the, the, the commuting experience was very difficult. And then being there, but then obviously... As you go on, so let's say, for example, they've got some stands where you can get some food. You've got no chance of getting anything there. Um, I think they need to think about maybe making the fan zone and the area ticketed only. Um, I don't know how you would do that in theory, but I think that's something they need to consider because it, it was too busy. Um, and at times, I would say probably borderline unsafe, especially queuing into the stadium. It was very, very difficult. <clears throat> What I will say is once you get in and you've got through the gates, what an incredible experience. First of all, the Alliance Arena is a world-class arena, um, <clears throat> but they've got so many more booths, so many more facilities to uh, get drinks, get food. Um, they, it's just a better, more organized experience. Pre-game entertainment, making you want to get there. Having a, a, a musical act, say, before the stadium, uh, before the uh, before the game having loud music that was more in kind of what you would expect at an NFL game. Again, getting people into the spirit of things, I think was something that we don't do in London, I think particularly well. Um, it's something I think the Germans did very well, but the Germans created the atmosphere. Um, maybe because it's the first game, maybe it was Tom Brady, maybe because the Seahawks are one of the most um, supported teams in the NFL in Germany. I don't know, maybe it was a combination of all of them, but the atmosphere was absolutely electric. It was better than any experience I've had in any NFL stadium in the UK and probably better than 95% of the experiences I've had in the US when I've gone to games. Um, things they did that I thought was absolutely brilliant After was, first of all, music, um, playing music really loud in the fourth quarter and creating a carnival atmosphere people singing along to John Denver's Country Roads, people singing along to Journey Don't Stop Believing, you know, just having this repertoire of hits that people know and recognise and sing along to to create this incredible atmosphere was, inc was just unbelievable. The best thing they did was they actually reopened the food and drink stands after the game. So they know they've got this metro problem and then they put Red Zone on in all the, the areas around the stadium. So you could watch Red Zone, you could have a drink, you could have food and you didn't feel like you were. So we decided to wait for an hour, hour and a half um, before we went and got a Metro because 
um we could watch we could watch red zone have have a drink have something to eat and not feel the rush of having to leave the stadium which was a really nice novel experience of sitting in a stadium an hour and a half after the game and getting able to savor and enjoy the experience so i recommend anybody who gets an opportunity to go to uh, Munich, they're going to host two games this year or next year. No, his year's 2023. Um, so I hope uh, people get the opportunity to go and make the most of it. There's some absolutely brilliant uh, venues and places to take in. It's a beautiful city, Munich. Um, I don't know where the other game's going to be. I don't think it's going to be Munich, but um, yeah, worth checking out for sure. Uh, as to the tail of the tape here, I'll, I'll try and be neutral here. It's kind of what I like to do. <laughs> I think really this game is going to be quite low scoring. I think that will be the surprise for people. But if you look at the last few contests between these two teams, uh, including the one we saw in week one, this was a game that was kept very, very close. In fact, it was a game winning field goal by Ryan Sucker that decided the game um, as time expired. So this isn't going to be a shootout. This isn't going to be a, uh, you know, a 38, 40 game on Monday night football. It's not going to happen. Uh, this I can expect. Uh, something along the lines of both teams scoring in the teens, maybe the low 20s. I don't think you're going to see this huge shootout. I think, as you're saying, that Prescott has looked uh, tired. I think he looks pretty, um, doesn't look in sync with his offense the last few weeks. Uh, week 17, he pulled out a good second half performance to get a W. In week 18, he was he was poor. Um, he hasn't looked good for the last few weeks, as you're saying, seven straight games of interceptions. But the Buccaneers, as you say, they don't run the ball well. There's a few different reasons for that. We've talked about the offensive line, but actually they run the least amount of, uh, of rush plays in the NFL and lead the league in pass attempts per game. I think for me, the biggest thing with this with these teams is the predictability of their offenses. And this is why there's so much synergy. With the Buccaneers, they show a little bit of mix on first down. They've Pass 58% of the time, rush 42% of the time. These numbers then, you know, on second and third down, the Buccaneers are going to pass the ball. They pass the ball 70% of the time on second down, 81% of the time on third down. You look at the Buccaneer, uh, the Cowboys, it's a very even split, 51-49 on first down. That goes to 55-45 on second down and then 68-30 on third down. So you knowing a little bit about what they're going to try and do the – Cowboys have to and where they've been successful is they they rush the ball a lot early to control the tempo of the game and that's how they try and and, and do that um, and they get some success the Buccaneers the two previous years coming into this one led the league in rushing defense as you say this year it's still taking a step back it's still a top 10 uh, defense when it comes to rushing Zeke Elliott has been okay Tony Bollard is the explosive threat that the Buccaneers will need to contend. And I think he is a, one of those players you're going to have to watch. If the Buccaneers can contain him, um, they'll be in good stead to uh, control the game. If he ends up getting away from them, that's where the Cowboys will start to see some success. But when you're looking at both, uh, when you look at the backs here, I'm saying that the, you know, the Cowboys are a much better rushing team than they are. Actually, three of the rushing backs in this game have a lower or have a negative rushing yards per expect or over expected for the season. So they're actually a rush for less yards than they should have done uh, just based on the amount of volume that they've had. Um, in particular, uh, Fournette and White 
Rashford just short of 1,150 yards this season, but they're 9.4% under what they should have rushed this season. Zeke Elliott is right there with them with a rush yards expected, uh, over-expected or where he's under-expected. So you've got three running backs here who have not been particularly efficient with the football. Tony Pollard is the only one who's been overly efficient with the football. He's 228 yards over-expected this season, according to next-gen stats. The other Taylor tip here is that the Buccaneers don't rush touchdowns. They've scored four this se- uh, four between them, Fournette and White, this season. So, again, don't get many rushing touchdowns. Um, don't get a lot of rushing yards. They're last in rushing yards in the league. Um, they were about 170 yards behind the Houston Texans, who had no Damian Pierce from week 11 or 12 or wherever it was that he got injured for the season. So, and we're playing running back by committee by basically a couple of Joes. Uh, so you're looking at, at how bad this is. But, you, but for me, the, the tale of where this game's going to be won and lost is, is setting the tone. The way that you beat the Buccaneers and this Buccaneers team is you get up early, you manage the game, um, and you put up points and you continue to put pressure on the Buccaneers so they can't come back. Buccaneers don't start well. Um, they haven't pretty much all season. Um, you look at the teams that have beaten them, uh, the Ravens, the 49ers are good examples of teams that got up early, were able to set the tone and manage the game. When I mean getting up early, I don't mean one touchdown. I mean a two, three touchdown lead. That's what the Cowboys will have to do if they want to win this game. They'll need to score on their opening possession. They'll probably need to score. Uh, they'll need to get a double digit point lead and maintain that through the game and try and increase that where possible. Now, the one thing that we've seen with the bucket with the Cowboys offense is they you know run pretty similar with the uh, with the with the Buccaneers and there's so many similarities. Both of these teams are very bad at managing games. Both of them have negative time time of possession this season. Both under 30 minutes. Um, both of these teams are you know just in general just not particularly um, explosive offenses. They don't make too many big plays. I mean the Buccaneers are 31st in in yards when they get to the second level and 32 in open play like it's it's ridiculous that neither of these teams are particularly explosive you look at their uh, yards per attempt they're very similar Dak is at 6.7 yards per attempt Brady 6.5 both of them are well below the league average of quarterbacks this season so these aren't these aren't offenses that look to make big play early scores quick scores what they look to do is try and control but not brilliantly the time position by running a high amount of plays and that means running the football. That means um, getting as many first downs as possible. And it means just trying to go on those long punishing drives. Um, but neither team is particularly brilliant at executing those. Um, so I think for me, where you're looking at the differences, one is Tony Pollard, I think is a huge one. But the second is how efficient is this Dallas team going to be across the season? They score on 28% of their drives. Um, which is ranked six in the NFL. The Buccaneers, on the other hand, score on 16% of their drives and they're ranked 27th. Can the Buccaneers hold this offense to lower that efficiency and keep the game close? The way I see the Buccaneers winning this game is keeping it close and winning it late, how they have done the last couple of times they've beaten the Dallas Cowboys. When you're looking at um, quarterbacks with fourth quarter comebacks, Brady's ranked third in the NFL this season. He's behind 
weirdly Matt Ryan um, and what? Kirk Cousins, who's well out in front. I know, there you go. See, there's something for Colts fans to hang their hat on. Um, but he's got four fourth-quarter comebacks. We've got five game-winning drives uh, this season. Dak only has two. So, as you say, when you come into the, the, the game in the clutch, um, when you're coming down that stretch, who would you want to have the hands on the football? Would you want Dak Prescott? Would you want Tom Brady? obvious even at 45 you would still take Tom Brady and he's proven that this season so you're going to need the defense here for the Buccaneers to hold firm if you can hold the Cowboys to under 17 points I think you're looking at a Buccaneers victory I think if the Cowboys get ahead early and manage the game and put that pressure on and put their foot to the throttle I think they win the game I think if you're looking at halftime if this game is within one score Buccaneers would probably take that I think if it's open, if it's more than that, then you're looking at the Cowboys being the favourites. But I think this is a close and evenly matched game. And both of these teams are matched very, very well on paper. And I don't think the Buccaneers, having won the last few against the Cowboys, will be fearing the Cowboys here. Yeah, it's certainly interesting. I'm certainly not taking into account at all the, um, the final game of the year, because often the final week of the season is often... They already knew they were in the playoffs. It's it's hard to know whether that was the true... Cowboys, but before then they'd won. They won one, two, three, four. They won six the last seven games before that. So I think maybe some people are putting too much in the in the Washington loss, but really I don't think the Cowboys are really fully invested. They knew they already had the playoffs confirmed. Um, looking at the stats as well, I mean I have been torn who I think is going to win this game. But looking at the red zone offense, I mean it's um, Buccaneers are twenty second, so they've got a fifty two percent ratio when it comes to red zone efficiency. And the actual, um, when it comes to touchdowns only, and then Dallas are actually number one in the whole league, um, above second place, the Chiefs, and the third place, Eagles. And I think that whilst the regular season is a whole different animal to the postseason, I do think that that is something worth looking at. And I think that, um, I think, I do think the Cowboys will win, because I don't think that, whilst I don't think Dak would be the reason why they win, I think, you mentioned Pollard, I think he is the absolute key. I think if he can get... I can easily see him getting maybe two touchdowns in the first half, maybe establishing that lead, as you say. And then second half, the Buccaneers got a lot to do. Um, and you know, Tom Brady, even though he's got that, you know, that great yardage total this year, it is still the case they are poorly comes to the red zone. And I remember I went to the game in Tampa Bay against the Ravens this season where they did so well getting it down to the red zone. And when they actually got to that area of the field, it would often be a case where they couldn't quite convert. And they did actually get it close towards the end. They did make it close, but it was sort of almost like a garbage time touchdown towards the end. So, yeah, and I, I do think that one person we haven't mentioned who I think, you know, in most years could be a Defensive player, a candidate, but I think Nick Bose has been that good. You can't really look past him. But I think Micah Parsons, I think him there as well, I think he can really cause the Buccaneers problems. And I think that, you know, I'm going to look back at the defensive stats, but looking at the defensive stats, I mean, you know, when it comes to pass defence, they are eighth. And, you know, their run defence isn't great, but it is against the run offence that hasn't been great either. So I think that is also a big key for Dallas, the fact that they are eighth in the league when it comes to passing yards allowed. And I think that they can certainly cause problems to this Buccaneers offence. And I think that could be where the game is won. And I think it may well be on defence more than more than offence. Um, so, yeah, you've gone for Buccaneers. I've gone for the Cowboys. I never, well, I mean, I will go for the Buccaneers. That's not what I said. But um, the reason I'm going to go with the Buccaneers, right, it's really simple for me. Dallas and Dak Prescott have not performed well against top-tier uh, defences, right? So, I... I Stupidly said earlier that the game was settled by a late field goal. I just remember the late field goal. I forgot it was 19-3 and that the 
the the Cowboys were beyond terrible in that game and the Buccaneers absolutely shut them down on opening night, um, Thursday night football. But if you look at them against pretty decent defenses, you're looking at them, they put 20 points up on the Bengals, uh, 22 points up on the Rams, um, 17 on the Eagles first time they played them. You know, excluding the 49 they put up on the, the Bears and the 54 they put up on the Colts and the 40 they put up on the Vikings because they're all terrible defenses. Um, they haven't really, until a couple of weeks ago, just that period over Christmas uh, against the Eagles, uh, where they put 40 up on them, which was impressive. And I'm not going to take that away from them. But they haven't too many times this season against the better defenses in the NFL really stepped up to the plate. And that when they've actually been put in the face of and really threatened and challenged, they have cowered. You know, the one thing we've got to say about the Cowboys and, and Cowboys fans listening to this are going to hate me. Their schedule has been pretty soft. And, that, and that's poor coming from a Buccaneers fan who plays in the worst division in the NFL. I understand <laughs> that the Buccaneers, but the Buccaneers had to play a lot of top teams as well. You know, they had to play the Chiefs. They had to play a lot of very, very good teams um, this season. Outside of the Eagles, and I know that they've got a tough division because the Giants have also made the playoffs. Um, so they have had to play some tough games in here. And I mentioned the Bengals. But, you know, they've had some pretty easy games. You know, the Lions before they got going. Um, you know, the the Vikings. D is 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 pretty poor. I know they're a playoff team, but the Colts, the Jags, they lost the Texans. You know, they've had a lot of the Titans who were in complete free fall. You know, they've had a lot of tough games in the, in the fixture list. And, and that I think has accentuated their offense perhaps slightly better than what it is because very much in those games where they're playing top tier defenses with the exception of um, at Christmas against the Eagles, they haven't been as good as they be and they have relied on the on the ground game we know that the Buccaneers and Todd Bowles in particular is a scheming genius and we know that if they can take this run game away and they can contain Pollard which I think they will by the way and you give the ball to that Prescott and say okay you beat us I don't think he can do it and back I think he's a top 10 quarterback in the league but what he hasn't shown this season is he's shown consistently and I think maybe it's coaching and scheme I don't know that McCarthy is the best fit for Dak Prescott. I think he needs something better. I definitely think he was played better under previous regimes than he is playing under this one. My point is I just don't see this scheme with Dak, with the way that they have played over the last few weeks. I cannot see a way that Dak Prescott can beat um, this Bucks D if this Bucks D turns up. Now, if they don't turn up, then absolutely this game's over. But, like I said, I think for me, they've got to win it in the first quarter and the second quarter. If this game's close at halftime, the Buccaneers will win it. If this game's close in the fourth quarter, the Buccaneers will win it. They will win this game. Um, so that's that's how I see this game. I think as a Buccaneers fan with a losing record and probably you could argue across the regular season, one of the worst teams in the playoffs. I think nobody's feared about the Cowboys. I don't think anyone's fearing them. I don't think anyone's looking at that and thinking, oh, I don't feel good that we can beat them because I think that's not true. I think they're a beatable team. I think if you give San Francisco, I'd probably be slightly more worried given how they shall act earlier on in the season. But yeah, I, I'm not concerned. Uh, I think they take away, and I, a good point on Parsons, I think Parsons is more effective in these games where they get to, the Buccaneers don't get to the second level often enough. So unless he's going to provide loads of additional pass rush, which he could and he will, um, 
he's not going to get that many sacks because Brady's just not going to allow it. Um, but I think he can disrupt. He could get a tip. He could. That's where you're going to need to see Mike and Parsons make a play. He's going to need to come away with the football, whether it's a fumble, whether it's an interception. That's where he's going to need to do this. But I think it's a less. It's not a good matchup for him because the Buccaneers don't run that ball into the second level. And when they do make those passes, they're very short, intermediate passes, and they will scheme it away from him. That's what they will do is they'll play short ones into the flat. They'll look at those sort of seven to 10 yard passing lanes. And that's where they'll try and just maneuver their way away from Michael Parsons and target other targets. And they've got Chris Garvin and Mike Evans and Russell Gage and Julio Jones, who can all play in that sort of role and, and do that well. So I don't think he, if you don't see Micah Parsons' name called too often, don't be surprised. I don't think this is a great matchup for him compared to, I would say, the Eagles. That's a prime opportunity for him uh, to feed with um, Miles Sanders and and with uh, some of those players there that he can make uh, huge plays. But he is going to need to make a big play, whether it's an interception or a fumble. He's going to need to make one or the Cowboys will lose this game. Yeah, I mean, I couldn't agree more about that. I'm still waiting for him to do something in a big game. But and you, you have actually almost convinced me to change my mind to the Buccaneers. But I'm going to be devil devil's advocate, and I'm going to pick the Cowboys just for um to have that sort of one each sort of factor to the predictions. But yeah, I I will not be shocked if the Cowboys lose because yeah, I don't really think Dak Prescott is as good as people make out, and I don't think he ever really has done it in a big game, whether it's regular season or postseason. But we are running low on time. We have got two minutes left of our Zoom call. So um, first of all, thank you, Murph, for coming on. Oh, thanks for having me. It's been a pleasure. No problem at all. Um, and what's coming up in the pipeline? You're a big writer. You do a lot of stuff for, like me with the Five Yard Rush team. Uh, what's coming up in the next few months for you, Murph? A uh, lot going on this uh, couple of months. So, uh, yeah, as you say, I, I co-own Five Yard Rush. So it's good to have you as part of the team. So uh, going to, uh, you know, have some great guests on the flagship show. Mondays with myself and Dan um, so stay tuned for that some of the titans of the industry will be on there I'm working on the fantasy football playbook in a couple of weeks so it'll be the fourth edition fourth year out uh, that'll be out uh, hopefully in May but if not definitely by June well Merce, um this collection has seemed to have gone so we will end it there uh, but yeah, we will put most details on social media when this podcast comes out. In the meanwhile, this has been the Across the Pod podcast. I've been Andy, this was Murph, and we will see you guys for our next game preview. <laughs>